Uh, we've been adventing. Advent is this um, season of expectation. Uh, I'd love that we've got pregnant people in the house today because that's the perfect picture of Advent. Advent is this season of hope, this season of, of longing, this season of when is it going to get here? And Isaiah saw it coming. 800 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah said these words in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Go ahead and look at it on the screen. He called it. He said, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. And he said, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Over the weeks of Advent, we've looked at these, these royal names, these, these throne names of the coming Messiah. And today, our, our last Sunday of Advent, we're going to look at Prince of Peace. And as I was thinking about Prince of Peace, man, there was just, there was just one picture that jumped in my head. There was, there was one moment in history. It was, it was August 15th, 1945. Do you guys know the day? Watch this video and it'll explain. Britain's Queen Elizabeth joined the celebrations today in London in observance of the 70th anniversary of VJ Day. That was the day in 1945 when Japan announced it was surrendering to the Allies, ending World War II. Here in the U.S., VJ Day is officially observed on September 2nd, the day Japan actually signed its unconditional surrender. But the anniversary was marked yesterday here in New York as couples gathered in Times Square at a 25-foot statue of a sailor kissing a nurse based on the iconic photograph taken all those years ago. Back in 2012, Michelle Miller spoke with the original couple who told her all about that kiss. They descended on New York's Times Square in pairs, to stand below a 25-foot statue of a sailor kissing a nurse. They'd hoped to relive a moment made famous in black and white exactly 70 years ago. It's one of the most famous pictures of the 20th century, the moment Americans learned of a Japanese surrender. It was the moment that you come back from the Pacific and finally you know the war ends. 89-year-old George Mendoza says he's that sailor in the photograph that would come to symbolize the end of World War II. And Greta Friedman, the nurse in white. I did not see him approaching, and before I knew it, I was in this tight grip. How long did you kiss her? Not long. As the perfect strangers locked lips, world-famous photographer Alfred Eisenstadt snapped four pictures. Ten seconds was all it took. We reunited George and Greta three years ago at the spot of their first kiss for just the second time since that day in 1945. The excitement of the war being over, plus I had a few drinks. So when I saw the nurse, I grabbed her and I kissed her. Did either of you see the picture when it was first published in Life magazine? I, I'm sure I saw it. So did you recognize yourself? Yes, of course. I mean, you don't forget this guy grabbing you. <laughs> no, I did not know the picture was taken. Greta was a dental assistant on break, heading to Times Square to verify rumors of the war's end. George, a first-class sailor in the Navy, was on a date with another woman. They went their separate ways, not formally meeting again until 1980, when Life magazine asked the previously unknown pair to come forward. George's friend noticed the picture in the magazine. He says, I know it's you. And I said, you're crazy. This was 1980, 35 years after the war ended. The first time you saw the picture? That's correct. 
but they weren't the only ones claiming credit. For more than 30 years, others said they were the ones in the photo. And for just as long, George has fought to set the record straight. I started my research in 2007. He found an ally in Lawrence Varia, a Rhode Island history teacher turned author. In his 2012 book, The Kissing Sailor, Varia argues the evidence rules out everyone but the retired fisherman from Middletown, Rhode Island. It's a story about our nation, World War II. It's a story about a kiss. It's a story about a place. It's a story about a publication. But at the end, it's, it's a story about two national treasures who for 60-some years never got to do that was theirs. The best proof there is is my date. Her face is seen over the sailor's right shoulder. In fact, his date, Rita Petri, can be seen in the background smiling from ear to ear. So the first week you're dating? Yeah, so... And he's kissing another woman. I know, but I, as I said, I, I don't know either I was dopey or something, but it didn't bother me. <laughs> it must not have. She's been married to George for the last 69 years. Women still come up to George? Oh, Lord, yes. Strangers, you know, if we're at a different function or something, and they'll come up that he's a kissing sailor. So the kissing sailor has to think he's got to kiss everybody. So he does. Everybody gets his kiss. I have to admit something to you, Rita. Yeah. Very That's nice. He's kissing me. You, I wouldn't mind him kissing. Very nice picture. People still write to George asking for autographs and offering words of encouragement. He described a letter with us. He states something like, uh, it must be something great to be involved in a photo that means the end of World War II. Well, I'm proud of that. And so is a nation that 70 years later is still mesmerized by that timeless kiss. For CBS This Morning Saturday, Michelle Miller, New York. what do you think? Yeah, not an awesome story. I love that he is like, well, I had a few drinks, you know. <laughs> His girlfriend's right there. <laughs> Can you remember the moment? Like what's so great is like, like it just marks the moment, right? Like that's a perfect picture of the moment that the war was over. And when you think about the name, the royal title, Prince of Peace, the one who is the Prince of Peace is the one who brings an end to war. But it's not just the absence of war hostility that, that the Prince of Peace ushers in. It goes further than that. It goes deeper than that. Uh, this, that, that, that royal title, Prince of Peace, it, it is Prince of Shalom. Have you heard that word? Sometimes shalom is used as a greeting both to say hello and goodbye. And, and it means peace, yes, but it also means that there's, there's this, these layers of meanings to shalom. It means, it means harmony and, and completeness, like, like there's nothing lacking. Like in that picture, it was perfect, right? Everything came together in one moment. Shalom means prosperity and welfare and, and tranquility, in the, in the Greek irene, the, it means tied up. Like It means like there's no loose ends. Everything is settled. It, it means a sense, when you tell someone shalom, it means a sense of total well-being. Like moments of shalom are, are when you see maybe a new mom rocking their child, right? You get that sense? Or a perfect kiss on VJ Day. 
So, what makes for shalom? How is Jesus the Prince of Peace? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, it says that, that through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. I love this picture. Like, like how did he make peace? He made peace through his own blood. And, and where did this peace exist? It, it, exis- it, it existed. It happened in heaven, in the sky, in the air with God. But it also happened on earth, in the dirt down here, in the dust, in the, the physical arena. The prince of peace entered in. The angels sing of it, right? You remember in Luke chapter 2, the angels appear to the shepherds at night and they say, Gloria and excelsis Deo. Peace on earth. And what it means is that there's no zone, there's no area, there's no city, county, or country left untouched by the shalom. And so who is included in this shalom? Who is included in this peace? I love the story that Luke tells in chapter 4. Jesus is returning to Nazareth. It's his hometown. It's where he grows up. And he goes to the synagogue in his own hometown, surrounded by people that knew him growing up. And uh, he goes to the synagogue, which is like kind of going to a house church. And he picks up a scroll that's been laying there. And the scroll is Isaiah's own words, who we started our teaching with today. He picks up this, this oracle of Isaiah written 800 years before Jesus. And he reads in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, it says, he reads this scroll, Jesus opens it up and he reads it and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. It's a scroll that had been read many times. It was an ancient prophecy that, that the people of Israel had, had been adventing, wanting and longing for. It was very familiar. And here Jesus picks it up and he reads it in front of his friends and neighbors. And when he's done, he rolls the scroll up, he hands it back to the attendant, and he sits down. And it goes on, if you read a little bit further in verse 20, it says, all eyes were on him. He reads this, and now everybody's looking at him to interpret what, what he just read. Okay, how's this guy going to teach this? What's, where is he going to go with this? What angle is he going to show? Maybe he'll show a video of people kissing. You know, like, how's he going to explain this? And Jesus says these words in verse 21. He says, this scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. All of that 800 years of longing is fulfilled in this moment. Jesus says, that guy you've been waiting for is me. He says, I've been sent to bring good news to the poor. I've been sent to release captives, to restore sight to the blind, to free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That language is Jubilee language. If you look, it's a fun study, go in the Old Testament, look at Jubilee Look at what jubilee means. It just, it just means this year where all debts are erased and slaves are freed and land is restored. It's a year of salvation. And Jesus says, that's me. I don't know if any of you remember this. Remember from Luke chapter 4. 
Remember, he's in his own hometown around friends and neighbors, people he grew up with, people that knew him. Do you remember how they responded when Jesus says, hey, this scripture I just read is actually about me. Do you remember how they responded? You should look it up. Because Jesus says, hey, shalom comes through me this very day. In his own hometown, furious, they try to throw him off a cliff. He announces peace, and how do they respond? It's important to recognize that the shalom Jesus brought wasn't the shalom that was expected. The peace Jesus brought was not the peace that was expected. And we, we need to spend a few minutes on this. And so I'm going to use one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite characters in history. Go ahead and show that image, Stephen. All right, so this is Patton. Do you guys know I love Patton? Like, because basically he says everything I'm never allowed to say. <laughs> Patton is famously quoted as saying, this is a quote, so I get to say it. Um, Patton is famously quoted as saying, no poor bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by making other bastards die for their country. This is like, this is totally what Patton would say. Like nobody's questioning that he said this. But it's important to know like how deeply rooted this ideology is in us. Like it's important to note that like we, maybe we don't come out and say it quite as bluntly as Patton said it, but we, we still believe this. It's hard for us. It's hard for us to imagine peace that's somehow not won or maintained by, by military prowess. It's hard for us to imagine peace that, that isn't achieved through might. And it's hard for us to imagine peace without control. That's why what Jesus did was so unprecedented. Remember, the shalom he brings is not the shalom that was expected. It was contrary to almost every expectation. He didn't arrive in a tank. He arrives as a baby. He isn't a commander, right? Like the people in his own hometown, they recognize him. They say, you're no commander. You're just a what? Carpenter. But Jesus goes the other way. He says that real peace can only be found in vulnerability and sacrifice. And in the most incredible, unimaginable way, like he doesn't make peace by spilling someone else's blood. He spills his own, right? Jesus' peace and shalom confounded the establishment. It confounded the empire. Like Rome couldn't imagine a peace achieved through sacrifice. And I don't know if we can today. That's why Paul, when he writes to the church in Philippi, he writes to them to, about experiencing God's peace. He says the language that, that you're probably familiar with. He says, related to this experiencing of God's peace, he says, it exceeds anything we can understand or imagine. It's so far outside of our thinking. It, it's, it's unimaginable. And so the Prince of Peace calls into question even our definition of peace. And, and part of the, what the Prince of Peace does is he wants us 
he wants to open us up to a whole new vision of peace. Like he's going to, he said, I'm going to even give you a completely different definition of what this peace is. I want you to see peace in a completely different way. Let me see if I can explain. Uh, I want you to just, just take a moment and look at this picture of the nativity scene. Go ahead, Stephen. Some of you have this, don't you? Don't lie. I know some of you have this, right? Uh, Star Wars, I see some, like you can't see what I see right now, but some of you are like, I don't have that, but I am getting that. You know, like that's what I see right now. No, show the other one, Stephen. Look at this picture of the nativity. How many times have you stared at it? How many times have you thought about it? Have you ever considered that this is VJ Day? The day Jesus was born was the day Satan, or the dark side, however you want to think about it, the day Jesus was born was the day Satan knew it was over. Do you believe that? When that child came to earth, Satan knew that he was defeated, that darkness and the power of sin and death had been defeated, that the war was over, and that he'd lost. VJ Day isn't just victory in Japan. It's victory in Jesus. When you look at that manger, we're to see a peace that can be accomplished only through Jesus Christ. That vision stands against some ways. In, in some ways, it stands against the facts on the ground. Do you guys have this sense that here in our world, in this time, in our space in the world, we've accomplished peace? Is what you're feeling in your life shalom? Is shalom happening in your family and in your relationships? Okay, well, maybe not. But when we look at this image, we're supposed to realize and remember that maybe it's not exactly what we're feeling right now in this very moment. But when we look in this image, we realize that peace is possible. It defies the way the world is organized. We're organized for division and all kinds of stuff. And this is such a contradiction to that idea. When we look at the Christ child in the manger, the Prince of Peace, like it's a vision that is supposed to cause us to transform reality. It is peace on earth. It reminds us that, that this is not all she wrote. It is to remind us that an alternative society, that another world is possible. Let me just ask, do you believe it? I mean, sometimes I look at our world and our culture and the news and like peace seems like the furthest thing from where we're at. But when we look in the manger, we, we, we have to remember that another world is possible. And it begins with this question and the question comes to each of us. It is, do you really believe that peace is possible? Because if... If peace is not possible, if peace is not in your worldview or in your sight or in your imagination, then the next part is going to be really, really hard for you. Because I believe that the task of peace falls now to us. Look what happens in, uh, in John chapter 20, beginning of verse 19. In John's gospel, uh, it, it, I'll just read to you. It says, that Sunday evening, 
after the crucifixion, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly and miraculously, the Prince of Peace was standing among them. And he says to them, Shalom, peace be with you. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy and they saw the Lord. And again, he said, go ahead to that next slide. He says it again, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Like anytime in scripture you see Jesus repeating himself in the, in the space of just a couple of verses, that's supposed to raise our antenna. We're supposed to pay attention. Like, like even the disciples, he tells the disciples, peace be with you. And like clearly they're not getting it. So he tells them again, peace be with you. And then an incredible moment, like in the next verse, he, he, he breathes on them and he gives them the power to forgive sins. He tells them, peace be with you. And then he commissions them and says, as the Father has sent me, the Prince of Peace, to bring peace on earth, so I am sending who? This mission and purpose of peace, like, like that's for us. If you doubt it, just, just look in Scripture in James chapter 3. James says, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. In his own Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, God blesses those who work for what? Peace. He says, you'll actually be called children of God because you work for peace. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out the apostles. He tells them to heal the sick and raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give freely. He said, announce that the kingdom of heaven is near. He pushes them out the door and he says, when you enter into someone else's home, he says, I want you to speak peace. Whenever you enter a home, speak peace over it. Wherever you go, wherever you enter, extend a blessing of peace. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminds those that are listening to him. He says, hey, before you come and place your offering at the altar, before you enter into, before you even think about coming into this place, coming into the presence of God, before you think about worship, Go and do what? He says, go and make peace. There's some grudge. There's some gripe between you and someone else. Like your work, your activity is to make peace. Because I think the peace that he commissions us with, the shalom he calls us into, is actually a people-to-people -people happening. Right, like I don't know, like how many of you have 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 the ability for to to make peace with with Iraq or with somewhere else right now? Like you got that ability, you can make a phone call. Like how many of you feel like you've got the ability to make somehow like bring world peace? But what about peace in your family? What about peace in your workplace? or with your friends or neighbors? 
Is that peace somehow less important or less valuable? No, I think that's the peace we're called to. Pieces of people to people happening, and it happens as an interpersonal transaction. He says, work for peace. And so the huge, uncomfortable question is, is that you? I confess I was stuck in some traffic on Mallory. That was not me. Working for peace. Like, is, is peace even a value? Is it something on your to-do list? Is it a target? And do you realize that, that Jesus has given you everything you need to make peace? Do you believe that? Like, you aren't lacking a single thing. Like, you can make peace today. And do you realize that as a follower of Jesus Christ, your mission and mine, uh, our mission is his. is to bring about his peace. When you look in that manger, the question maybe we could ask is, are, are we really working for the same goal and for the same purpose? So just... As I wrap up, I just want to give you a, a whole new Christmas list. <laughs> I know you've got, probably got your to-do list. Like, will my kids like their gift? And the, the most important Christmas question around my family's table is, do we have enough ham for everyone? We have enough ham, okay? I've just proclaimed that to the world. I want to give you some different Christmas questions. What if, our Christmas, uh, what if our questions for Christmas weren't about gifts and all this other stuff? But what if these were our questions? These come from Henry Nowen. What if the real quest questions of Christmas were, did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I say words of healing? Did I let go of my anger and resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love? Did I offer peace today? Man, I encourage you, maybe take a moment. We'll just leave that on the screen for a second. Write these down. Take a picture. Somehow in all of your routine and in, in all of your like, like you have a practice of Christmas, right? You know what I'm saying? Like you have a regime and all of these things that are required for Christmas to happen. I invite you to insert these questions into your Christmas. And I urge you to think that maybe these are the real questions of Christmas? Did I bring a smile? Did I say a word of healing? Did I let go of anger and resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love? Did I offer peace today? I'm going to go ahead and invite AC up in uh, just a moment. She's going to lead us into a time of communion. And as she comes up, I just want to give you these final words. Like, I just remind you that the true work of Christmas is not the purchase of gifts or the decorating or the baking that Christmas is not about trees or gifts or elves or reindeer, but the peace of God being actively extended through us.
Thanks. Go ahead, AC. Uh, in just a few moments, I'm going to dismiss us all to a time of communion around the Lord's table. While we partake of the elements, um, a new song is going to be playing in the background. It's called Your Peace Will Make Us One by Audrey Assad. And as you're able to, I want you to listen closely to the words of this song. The peace that Jesus brought in his death and therefore in his birth is a peace that results in unity. This song talks about speaking truth to power, laying down our swords, and of a time in which every person is free. This echoes Isaiah's prophecy of a time uh, in which every person um, will beat our, our swords into plowshares, literally turning weapons into provision. These visuals of laying down or changing weapons help us to get a glimpse of a world at peace with God and at peace with one another. Jesus' death, an extremely violent act, is ironically the only thing that could bring true peace to our world. This peace didn't come by force, and its unity is not some kind of coerced uniformity. The unity that we get to experience as the people of God is like that of the body. Every part works in tandem to achieve the same goal. This peace is like that which is experienced between two people joined as one in marriage when they remember that their first goal is to honor and glorify God. And when they work together to accomplish that, they also honor one another. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The family of God is made up of those who choose to bring peace to their communities and their families. In just a few days, we're going to be traveling all over the country to be with family, or we're going to be inviting family into our own homes. And this time of year can be anything but peaceful as old arguments rise up. We're stuck in the same house with too many people for too long. Um, maybe we don't get to see some of the people that we love. Or maybe we're just all tired and worn out. So let me ask you to be proactively thinking about this as we enter into this space. How are you going to bring peace to your family and friends this week? How are you going to bring the kingdom of heaven here to earth by helping your brothers and sisters experience peace? Or maybe showing peace to others is easy for you, but you don't feel it inside yourself. Worry, anxiety, stress, exhaustion, busyness. These words seem to describe everyone all the time, but somehow even more so at this time of year. So if you're feeling any of those things, let me ask you this. What's at war within you? What do you need to surrender for the sake of peace? In taking communion, we get a glimpse at the peace that we will one day fully experience in the new creation. So I invite you now to enter into a space where we have the privilege of remembering and celebrating the sacrifice that allows us to feel rested and calm. May this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and may it make us one. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being a God who keeps his promises, who fulfills his prophecies, who is faithful to his people. Lord, we thank you for the peace that you bring. We thank you for the blood that you spilled so that we could experience um, your peace and our relationship with you. Lord, help us to be intentional um, about making peace. God, um, help us to take this task seriously and to be your peacemakers here on earth. Lord, as we enter into this time and this space in communion with you, 
we ask you to prepare our hearts um, to remember and be thankful. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand and enjoy communion.